What up, family? This is a sermon from the downtown congregation of Park Church. May it bless your soul as you dig deeper into God's Word. More resources and info are online at parkchurch.org. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. It says, Come to me, all labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel alone and want community, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who worry and want peace, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness and to whoever else will come, this church opens wide her doors and offers welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just bow our heads for a moment, just quiet our hearts. It's a short text this morning that we're gonna be digging into, but an incredibly powerful and important one. We just wanna pause and pray. Jesus, let these not be words on a page not just be something since childhood, others are maybe this morning hearing for the first time, but by the kindness of your spirit who is present with us in power, may you use these words of our savior, this invitation to functionally give us what you promise in these verses. May you, may you do that this morning in a way where a number of people, everyone who wants it, walks out of here this morning, already beginning to sense the reality of this promise that's found in this text. Lord, use your words to speak to us in Christ's name, amen. One of the most beloved icons of America is the Statue of Liberty standing in New York Harbor. All of you are familiar with this statue, which is now kind of patina green. It is a depiction of the Roman goddess of liberty named Libertas. It stands adjacent to Ellis Island, which was an immigration resource center. A number of people coming into our country for the very first time were processed through Ellis Island kind of in the shadow of the Statue of Liberty. And as this most famous statue stands there, it is symbolizing welcome and hospitality to immigrants who are coming to the United States for a better life, maybe for freedom for the first time. Inside the Statue of Liberty is the inscription of an 1883 poem by Emma Lazarus, Lazarus entitled The New Colossus. Some of you could probably quote this. You memorized this in a high school history class or something. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, 
tempest-tossed to me. And I was thinking again this week, what kind of nation invites, not just accepts, what kind of nation invites broken, weary, homeless people come? What kind of king does that? What kind of God does that? And this morning, we're going to meditate on just these three verses, and this was mentioned in our confession, but it's often referred to as the great invitation, that of all the invitations that Jesus offered to count Lord of compassion, this is probably his most familiar. And before I dive into his invitation here, I want to ask you a question that you get asked maybe every day of your life by someone, how you doing? How you doing? You may even write down a couple words or a couple short phrases of like, well, here's how I'm doing. And you know what I hate about this question is the kind of answers that we elicit, like just in passing when it's like, hey, how you doing today? And people are like, good. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm okay. Um, I, I, I've been better. It could be worse. Meh, whatever meh means, M-E-H. You know, someone may actually be honest and say, you know, I'm, I'm doing terrible. Thanks for asking. But this text invites us into a little bit deeper question. How's your soul? Not just a glib passing. How are you doing? Great. How are you? And we all know, you know, busy, whatever. How is your soul? And you may describe your soul this morning many different ways. Your, your internal person not just like, eh, because usually what we're asking is like, how are your circumstances and how are you reacting to that? How's your soul is like in the depths of who you really are, in the recesses of your thoughts, your desires, your, your priorities, your passions, your interests, your fears, your doubts, that whole package of stuff. How is that doing this morning? And many of you would readily acknowledge my soul is tired like not just my body in a physical way where you're like, yeah, I had a really hard workout or I went on a long hike over the weekend or some of you would say I had to pull an all-nighter for school or for work. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm catching up. Like my body's tired. My mind's a little tired. Some of you would say, no, 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 I'm tired. I am tired. Like the me inside the body is tired, exhausted, worn thin or worn out. You are stressed. We use that word all the time, but some of you, like you really feel that in your soul. I am spent. I'm weighed down. Some of you, though, you may not say this to me or to each other. You would say, I don't, I don't want to go on. And if that's you, we're not going to call you out. We're not going to shame you because that's many of you right now. And if it's not you right now, it has been you in the past and or it will be you soon enough. And I don't say that in a threatening way. I just say that in a way of like life is hard. We all land there. And for those who feel this way on this text, Jesus says, here is my number one, here's my humanizing invitation. Number two, here's my heart for you. And number three, here's my hope for you. Okay, many years ago, I had intense like neck and shoulder pain, like through my traps, through these upper cervical 
cervical vertebrae, like just excruciating pain where I couldn't turn my head, I couldn't do this up or down. And as part of like figuring this out with a the doctor, they said, well, what, tell me about your, your workstation where you spend a lot of time. And I started telling them about like, well, you know, it's, it's here and I always work on a laptop. So it's sitting on the desk and I'm looking down and they're like, no, 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 what you need to do is hire like an ergonomics expert to come to your home, your home office and go through all these things with you. So this guy comes over and he's like, oh yeah, this, this chair is never gonna work. Because you see how when you're sitting on this chair, your, your feet are like not at a, or your knees are not at a 90 degree angle. So you're putting all this stress on your legs just to sit there. And, and you're looking down at your laptop. So you're kind of hunched over your shoulders and all this and your, your keyboard's like this. And so you're typing like this, which is a, a, a great ingredient for carpal tunnel and some other things. So it's like, you need this more neutral, relaxed posture for your, even your keyboard. And he goes through this whole list of things of like, you need to get your monitor up here and you need to get this down here and you need to move this over here. And I bought this different stuff and a couple weeks in, I'm like, that does make a huge difference. Because this guy who's an expert came and designed a workstation that was meant to fit me and the way that my body was built and my, my specific different you know, dimensions and all of that. Well, I see Jesus' invitation here as like ergonomics for your soul. Because what he's saying is the way you're living is crushing you. It's putting tension on you. It's putting stress on you. It's a grind. And if you keep just doing what everyone else is doing, you will continue to wear down. You will continue to experience this buildup of even like a soul tension. And he says, I've got a better way because it fits the way I know you are designed. That's what I mean by saying it's a humanizing invitation. And that word is so important. Jesus is not just saying, come do this different thing. He's saying, come understand what it looks like, what it feels like, what it is like to become fully human. We see here about this humanizing invitation. There's a to whom and a to what. And each of these are important. First of all, to whom? To whom is this invitation extended, Jesus? Well, he says, all who labor and are heavy laden. The word labor means just what I've been saying. It means someone who's tired, they're fatigued, they're exhausted, they're burnt out. There's also an emotional and a soul dimension to this word that just means like I've, I've lost heart, discouraged, depressed, despondent. All of that is wrapped up in this word labor. Heavy laden just simply means someone who's loaded down with any kind of burden. And the word all, to blow your minds with my knowledge of Greek, it means all, okay? It is a universal invitation. I think that's important. He doesn't just say, you know, here's, here's a subselect. I see you tired people. This is a personal invitation for you. He's casting this broad net and just saying anyone and everyone who is disheartened, discouraged, worn out, tired, stressed, stretched to the max and breaking or broken. Anyone hearing my voice, he's saying, this includes you. And again, I wanted to say, is this you this morning? There's no shame in that. Jesus just simply wants you to hear, hey, this text, this invitation is for you. By the way, why are we so tired? I mean, individually, culturally, why are we so tired? 
I mean, we have more labor-saving devices than at any previous point or any culture in history. So theoretically, just on that ground alone, because we're not spending all our time working, 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 just to put food on our table or a roof over our heads or clothes on our back, why are we so exhausted? I'll just share a few things. Um, I think number one, just because life is hard, right? We live in a broken world. And you can search scripture and there's, there's nowhere in scripture a promise from God or from one of the earliest followers of Jesus that were called disciples or later apostles. There's no such promise that they say, hey, if you just follow Jesus, life will be easy. They don't even say it'll be easier. And in many instances, they actually say the opposite. It's going to be hard. And you know this going through life, that there is just like, what do I major in? Where do I go to school? I mean, there's all this stress around this big life decision, because what if I meet my spouse at this place, and I was supposed to go here, and I went here, and I got off track early on, and then like, ah, then what, what am I doing to God's will? And we start taking this on. And then things like joblessness enter the picture as some of us start to age, maybe just singleness, that you're like, singleness was cool when it was cool, but it's not cool anymore. Like, I wish I met someone the way that other people meet someone. And yeah, I don't expect it to be perfect. I expect it to be challenging, but like, I'd like to be married or some of you with infertility or something like that, you would say, I'd like to have kids, but just one thing after another, cancer, heart disease, I mean, COVID, life is hard. And all of those things wear us out because there is a daily grind just to living the best life. There's a daily, we're wearing out. I think something else that's huge is just simply expectations. We are exhausted because of expectations. We have expectations for ourselves that we're often, we know, even if we're not confessing this to someone else, we're like, I'm not meeting my own expectations about my character, or where I would be in my job or my career by this point in time. You have expectations of others and those others let you down and it wears you down. Others have expectations of you and you let them down and that wears you down. And sometimes they go that extra mile of letting you know that you are falling short of their expectations, which is like, great, that's another layer of shame and exhaustion because now I'm carrying this weight of everyone's expectations of me and how I perform and how I do and we're all judging each other. I'm talking about inner culture. I think FOMO is wearing people down. Because you're just like, what if I miss out on this? What if I miss out on this? Like friends are going hiking, friends are going to brunch, friends are going to, like, what if I, like I gotta do everything. And like many of you, when you first moved to Denver, you maybe had that unsustainable pace of like, there's amazing and awesome stuff to do like all the time, every weekend, every evening, every morning, but not too early in the morning because of what I was doing last night, you know? So we finally get out of bed and go make it to all these amazing brunch places. And I think just that FOMO of like, what if I miss something? And this group of friends goes out and they kind of connect without me. And we take that on. Just relationships, even the best of relationships in our lives can be exhausting sometimes because there's conflict. We just literally like, with me, that wears us down. Um, disappointment in relationships. 
Because maybe you have set expectations unreasonably high and you're like, I'm just constantly disappointed. Some of you are disappointed with a spouse. You're disappointed with a boss. You're disappointed with someone that you hired that you thought would be the solution to the thing in your company and now they're wearing you down. Just relationships. How about this? Like in in relationships, some of you are helping, 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 helping others and you're burning out because you feel like I'm always pouring my cup into other people who's pouring their cup into me. And you realize that even Christian ministry of constantly, relentlessly trying to be there for the friend who calls and needs a conversation and needs encouragement, you're going, 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 and you're tired. I think a huge cultural one is just simply that we live in this era of mass and social media. And like who here could like, unless you're completely unplugged from it, and say, that is not sometimes really exhausting to scroll through my various feeds and see what other people are up to with their amazing lives as they create this persona that in moments of clarity, you realize that person doesn't actually exist. They're just, they're just capturing their best life now, which is a subset of the complete wreck that their, their, their actual life is. Why? Because they're tired too. But you go to social media and that endless pursuit of a self-made identity and affirmation where you're checking back in like how many clicks or likes or follows or shares did I get for this or that and then you see like 40 likes 20 hearts and then like the one angry face right and you're like what's the one angry face for like I was mad about something in my post. Are they agreeing with me and they're also angry? Or are they like angry at me for posting, you know? And so we just wear ourselves out. We choose these things. Our entire culture chooses these things. Someone may even be honest enough to say, hey, it's actually religion or a church culture that's been part of what exhausts me because I see all these people around me that seem to have their lives put together and I try to live up to to their standard and even the standard of the Bible and the standard of religion and the standard of church, and I, I seem to be the only one who's not doing a, got, a good job of keeping all the rules, and I always feel bad about that. And I want to flip the script for a moment and just say, like, as we culturally and individually, and you can add your own things, and I encourage you to, whether right now, write them down, or in your gospel communities or families, talk about this. Why are we so tired? Why are we so worn out? To what degree are we, in a sense, doing this to ourselves because we're all living off the wrong script. So then what do we do about it? We realize we're living off the wrong script or maybe we don't even realize that, we're just tired. And so here's a couple things that we do culturally to fix the problem of exhaustion. Number one, we try harder, which makes a lot of sense. But you know how many times you're like, I'm not getting the affirmation, it's exhausting me, so I'm gonna work even harder to get the thing that I'm not getting that I think will be the rest that I need. We try harder in in a thousand ways. Here's another one, we hide talking to a friend this week. We, we drive back to the suburbs, some of us, go up that driveway behind the white picket fence and the perfect looking suburban family, and we just hide. And we don't let other people know, I am hurting and I'm crushed and I'm worn out and I don't want to go on. We hide even when we're talking to other people. We don't really unpack in a vulnerable way. Here's what I'm struggling with. There's this facade. Maybe this will fix it. How many times do we have coping mechanisms? The coping mechanism could, could be like, I need to go talk to my therapist. 
It could be like, I just need to blame someone else, shift it off myself, make excuses, drown it in alcohol or drugs or sleep or binge watching whatever my thing is. Or something I see us try to do all the time is like when we find ourselves in that exhaust, worn out, I don't want to get up tomorrow storyline, we try to forcefully change our own script. This is probably more common than you realize, but you know, I remember years ago talking to not just one couple, but a, but a number of different families that are like, yeah, we found out that uh, you know, life was really hard and so we started dating. We thought dating would be the solution that would bring rest. Well, it didn't. We had a lot of conflict in our dating relationship. So we decided to get engaged. We thought maybe, maybe if we like put a ring on it, that'll solve all the conflict and the turmoil and the exhaustion that we feel in our relationship. Um, and then it didn't. We fought like cats and dogs during our engagement period. So we decided to get married, of course, because that's what you do. And, and, and we still fought. And we're like from small town, like middle America. So we're like, I know, let's move to a big city, big urban environment, get a tiny apartment together and, and that'll fix the, the turmoil and, and we got and it didn't so we're like I, I know we need two dogs and the, the dogs didn't do it so you're like I know we need two kids and the kids didn't do it and so divorce but how often do we do this where it's like I know a move across the country that'll fix it a new job a new career that'll fix it a new relationship that'll fix it a new restaurant that'll fix it and we're just constantly trying to change our own script. And I just want to pause and say, how's that going? And I don't mean that because I struggle with the same thing myself. So in writing this entire sermon and researching this, I thought, like, I can't think of anybody who needs this invitation more than I do. How easy it is to not accept Jesus' invitation to live a new script, but to just be like, oh, I know, I'll just do this instead. I'll go off Facebook for a week and tell everyone I'm on hiatus, and then I'll get right back on, and none of these things fix it. But I want to say that the invitation is to you. If, the, if any of this is resonating with you, the invitation is for you. Now, what's the invitation to? Like, to what is the invitation? And you notice here this phrase, he says, come to me, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. And I think each of those three short phrases is incredibly important. First of all, come to me is an invitation to personal relationship. Come to me. Not first come to my teaching, not first come to my group. Jesus is just saying, I'm inviting you to union and communion. I'm inviting you to intimacy. I'm inviting you to friendship with God. When you're stressed and you're exhausted and you're kind of, whether you vent that and you're that kind of person, just like kind of everyone knows because you're the frenetic type of dealing with it or you're just like the withdrawal kind of deal with it. Do you all have friends that are like, you're not a nice person to be around right now. Like, call me when you're better. And what I love about this invitation with, from Jesus is there's no hint of like, call me when you're better. Come Come when you're not so tired and stressed and confused and frustrated. He says, if you're confused and frustrated and worn out and overburdened, come. Come as you are. And here's an incredible thing about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, friends. It is your burden 
and it is your brokenness that qualifies you to come. He doesn't say fix anything. He says your burden and your brokenness qualifies you, so just come. Come as you are. Let's do life together. And then notice he says, second phrase, take my yoke upon you. This is an invitation to work for a new master and to work off a new and liberating script. Okay, if you, if you know a yoke, we often picture like a team of oxen, maybe two oxen or four oxen, and they're wearing that thing up over their neck with the, the chains and the ropes and all that on it so they can pull something heavy together like a plow. So it's an instrument of work. But actually in this day, the, the kind of yoke that Jesus is kind of referring to that they all would have known is there, there was an individual yoke usually made of wood. And for example, like it was a lot of times the women's job because a lot of times they worked harder. So they had to go get the water for the family, right? So they, they have this yoke and ropes coming down and then buckets. And by not having to carry those buckets, but having something over their shoulders to help bear that load, they could actually carry more back to their families for their families and their animals to benefit from. So Literally, that's what Jesus is referring to, but figuratively, the yoke was seen as a symbol of, like, this, this is something that controls you. This is something that oppresses you. This is the way it's used in Isaiah 58, verse 6, for example, where, where God is saying in the Old Testament, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? So as people thought about the yoke, they're like, yes, in a sense, it helps me get work done. But when someone else is putting the yoke on me and I have to do their work, it's a symbol of oppression. Does that make sense? So now when he comes to this era where Jesus spoke these words, the yoke that everybody talked about, other than the yoke of Roman oppression, because they were literally an occupied people, but the other yoke that everyone talked about was the yoke of Torah or the yoke of the law. Because what would happen is they would, you know, they would read the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and they would see the 613 distinct commands that God had for Israel. And if that wasn't bad enough and hard enough, the way that their various rabbis and scribes distinguished themselves and their parties and their groups is that they would add commentary on each of those. For example, um, next week, if you turn a page in your Bible, we'll be talking about Sabbath rest and what Jesus did on the Sabbath and how the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders come along and they're like, you can't do that because we have extra rules about how far you can walk on the Sabbath and you can't thresh grain on the Sabbath. So when you, when you go like that in between your hands, you're threshing wheat. You can't do that. And so the people are sitting there like, man, even to the degree that we want to know God and enjoy God and worship God, there's this law and law and law, and we are worn out because nobody can do it. Nobody's good at being good. And the religious leaders aren't helping us. So Jesus comes along and says, I see you're working off all these other cultural scripts about what the good life looks like. You're working for all these other masters. You're, you're pursuing all these different solutions and coping mechanisms. Here's my invitation. What am I inviting you to? Come work with me. Come do life in an entirely new way. And I want you to notice Jesus chooses two words to describe this yoke, this burden that he's putting on people. He says, it's easy and it's light. Easy is literally the word that where the, the Bible says, be kind one to another. 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another? It's the word kind. He says, my yoke is kind. My yoke is good. Another, another simile would be like, it's, it's suitable for you. It's humanizing. It was designed for you. It's pleasant. It's light, he says, which means, it literally means not burdensome. And in this book that I encourage you to read, especially if you're feeling worn out, um, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, he says this, Jesus' yoke is a non-yoke, and his burden is a non-burden. What helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. He uses the illustration in here of there's a person that's drowning, they're weighed down, they're exhausted, they know I'm going under and I won't have the strength to come back up. And someone tosses them like a life ring and they're like, no, 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 I ain't putting that on. More weight, really? But you put it on and you realize the yoke is a non-yoke and it buoys you up. It lifts you up. It changes the whole story of what's going to happen. So if you're using work as a means of building your identity, building your credentials, building your esteem in the eyes of other people, you know how exhausting that is because you're like, I did this work and I, like somebody else took credit for it. Now we've got conflict over here because what's wrong with you and this whole work from home, now people aren't noticing my work the way they did before when we worked together in the same office. I'm not getting the same praise for my amazing ideas at the team meeting. And, and as you work off the script of like, I've got to prove myself, prove myself, prove myself. I've got to achieve and perform and then upgrade. And by the way, that's the storyline of, of Denver achieve, perform, then upgrade. Repeat, achieve, perform, upgrade. And part of what's exhausting us is we, we're just not content. I gotta do more. I gotta have more. I gotta experience more. And Jesus says, when you're tired of that yoke, here's my yoke, work with me. And maybe some of your work won't actually change like the work that you're doing although it might, but the controlling narrative has changed. And you're like, now I'm free to do my work. And it's not about me. It's about the glory of God and the joy of others around me, like seeking their good. And if I'm not recognized for that, God is glorified and others are still benefited. So I'm just going to cultivate right where God has planted me. And I'm going to work off a different script, one that's not so exhausting. That's what Jesus means by take my yoke upon you. Then you see the third part of this is he says, and learn from me. This is an invitation to apprentice under Jesus. When he says, learn from me, he says, the, the Greek is mafete, under me, which is related to the word disciple, mafetes, which is like someone who comes under a rabbi, under a master and says, teach me. Not just teach me academically or teach me cognitively so I know more facts, but it's more like an apprentice type relationship, like model for me, example for me. Let me do it. Correct me where I'm wrong. Now, now, now do, it, do it with me. Now, now just send me off to do it. And you're learning not just cognitive information, but you're learning the whole lifestyle. You're learning the master himself. And I want us to pause and just consider maybe one of the reasons that we are culturally so exhausted is because who we've ch chosen to sit under as our mentors, they're wearing us out. And, and, and their version of the good life is on its face exhausting. So who are your mentors? You know, you probably started out with parents as mentors. Some of you may be fortunate that even later in life, they can be a sound ideas conversation, advice, 
but educators, if we're not careful, mainstream media, I mentioned social media, there are all kinds of influencers out there, right? They're building their podcast and they're building their different programs, the layers of things that you're supposed to read or watch. And it can, it can kind of devolve into, like they're just actors and actresses, just Hollywood elites who tell me how it is. They're authors, they're therapists, they're my peers. Some I mean, of you would say like culture at large, or you, you'd be like, I don't know, there's this unexamined message that's filtering through the latest Netflix series I'm binging on, and it's mentoring me, if I'm honest. Well, let's be ready for a new mentor. Because he just wants to say, Here, here's, with these last two points, real are simple. He's just going to say, here's who I am, and here's what I promise you. So your big point, too, is the Savior's heart. And C.H. Spurgeon, all the way through the modern era, countless pastors and theologians have noted in all four Gospels, this is the only place where Jesus describes his own heart. And notice what he says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And then he says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Gentle means meek, mild, kind, friendly, lowly. In heart means someone who's humble and just unpretentious. Dane Ortland again says the point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. And you look at the kind of characters all throughout the gospel who just gravitated to him and intuitively understood, you're so approachable, you're so accessible. And meanwhile, the very people that you think, like the elites, the educated, the religious, are, are standing back here with their arms folded like, I don't, I don't find them that approachable. Well, good. Because you're not at step one of saying, yep, I'm one of the broken, I'm one of the weary. Well, what, what's Jesus' character got to do with his invitation? Well, you know... If you have the world's worst sunburned, you don't want to get yourself around people who are backslappers, right? If you're hurting, you don't want someone who's like just blaming you or shaming you or you know what else you don't want? Like when you're really hurting, you don't want to be around someone who just immediately flips the story and makes it all about them. And they're like, oh yeah, I remember like my thing that I went through. I mean, your thing sounds like bad, but my thing was so much worse. You're like, okay, and you know how mentally you check out before physically you're able to leave the room? And Jesus is like, come, I know it hurts. And he's like, I'll be gentle with you. Dane Ortland, tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, willing. If we are asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring Jesus' own testimony if our answer is gentle and lowly. Come. Bruised reed, broken stick, I won't hurt you. I'll heal you. I'll help you. Okay? That's all I want to say about the Savior's heart. He's gentle and lowly. Finally, the Savior's hope. 
What hope does he offer? Well, in the sense, I started out with the, the illustration of the Statue of Liberty. The, the Statue of Liberty, in a sense, is promising this hope. Like, if you come, this will be a country. This will be a place of welcome, a place of opportunity, a place of freedom, a place of liberty. You'll be accepted here. Well, we look at the invitation of Jesus, and what does he say? He says, if you simply come, all of you, any of you, if you simply come, he says, I will give you rest. And he repeats it. You will find rest for your souls. And I mentioned last week that that rest is a universal human longing. We all want rest. And even the people who are doing things that you strongly disagree with and you feel superior to because they're they're pursuing a path and you're like, don't you see, that's not going to lead to rest. It's going to lead to more pain and more brokenness. Yes, but they're probably pursuing rest. But the problem is stop pursuing rest as an end unto itself. Start pursuing Jesus and he gives you rest as a gift. So it's not an achieved rest, it is a received rest. He says, I'll give it to you. And the word here is so beautiful, revive, refresh, restore, renew. The word can mean to abide or remain in something. And as you abide and remain, it's refilling you. I, I picture like the, the, the hybrid vehicle charger, the little trickle charger. It's like I've depleted We did this in the early on Tesla era. You're driving up the mountains. You're like, oh no, this is sucking my battery dry really, really fast. And then you get to Silverthorne or whatever. And you're like, oh sweet, there's a supercharger station. Not just a charger, but a supercharger. And so you plan it to like go plug into that thing and you gotta gotta abide. You can't just plug it in and pull it right back out, right? You gotta abide and remain and go have lunch and slow down your pace of life and let it do its thing. That's kind of the promise of Jesus. Come away from Denver Ways to Rest where you just fill up another weekend with another experience, with another group of friends, or indulging your appetites. And you're like, I know if I had more food and drink and sex right now, I would feel so at rest. If I put my kids in one more thing right now, I would just find ultimate relaxation. And parents, you know that's not true. It's not true for you, it's not true for your kids. Um, let me come away and I'll just binge watch this thing all weekend. That'll help me feel better and totally relaxed. And then the next day you're like, what? 4 a.m., 6 a.m.? What time did that last episode end? My word, I'm tired-er. And Jesus is like, new script. Here's what it means to experience rest in me. It means freedom from anxiety, freedom from worry, freedom from fear, freedom from shame, freedom from guilt, freedom from condemnation. It means freedom from meaninglessness and purposelessness and just being adrift of like, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Because he's like, come work for me. I'll show you what to do with your life. And it has ultimate purpose. And this last part is so vital. Jesus says, you will find rest for your souls. Your psuche, the root of the word psychology. He's saying you'll find rest for your true and complete self, not just rest for your body, not just rest for one-off relationships that are not that big a deal. He's like, you will find rest for your soul. That's the hope. That's the promise. I'll give it to you. So in closing here, what does it mean to come to Jesus? You know, back then they could just literally come. There's Jesus, I'm coming. Well, now we come you know, in prayer, in faith, we, we pause, which is so hard to do in our culture. Pause, rest, accept the invitation to shift 
our thoughts, our priorities, our intentionality back to him. Denver culture is just relentless. American dream culture is relentless. It'll wear you down. You gotta have practices in your life. A couple I use, like Lectio 365 is just an app, or another one is one minute pause, just an app on your phone, because you know this will suck the life out of you really fast, because it's always there, it's always on, except when it's not and you need it, and that stresses you out more, and you're exhausted because your phone's exhausted. But apps that pop in and like, I, I did one of these with Redeemer. They're Advent studies, they're Lent studies where just they'll, they'll give you something in the middle of the day like an email or a reminder on your phone, like pause. I love this one that one of our pastoral team members shared with me and the one minute pause is just simply stopping in the middle of the day and saying, I give everyone and everything to you, God. I give everyone and everything to you. That is a different script than what society is telling you. Just run, run, run. Go to the next meeting. Go to the next thing. Say the next thing. Do the next thing. No. 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 Sabbath. I'm going to actually take a rest. And then I promise, last thing I got. Don't just come to Jesus because you're tired, you're exhausted, you're discouraged. Do you hear in this invitation, like church, park downtown. We have an incredible opportunity to be bringing other people with us. Like the natural spiritual thing or just like I feel good about myself and I've worked hard and I've succeeded is to create distance between ourselves and the, the theoretically broken people. Again, a conversation this week, I was talking about how a lot of the people I see buying drugs around here downtown, are rolling up in their Range Rover, stepping out in their three-piece suit, buying their heroin, and going back to Cherry Hills Village because their life's a wreck too, and they know it, but then they go hide, and they try to cope. And I'm just saying, if this invitation is for all, then it doesn't diminish what you get from Jesus if you bring 100 or 1,000 people with you. There's enough grace for them too. So man, can we be a church that's like, I don't care that you're broken. I don't care that you're worn out. In fact, that qualifies you to be introduced to a man who did this for me. And I'm gonna give you Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of these verses in closing. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Praise Jesus. Father, just before we celebrate your son or continue to celebrate him with communion, I, I pray that we just pause briefly in this moment to acknowledge where we ourselves are weary and heavy laden. And that we take this invitation individually, personally, and seriously to just run to you again this morning and just be present with you 
again this morning and to rest in you. Lord, even at earlier points in this message, as we considered these verses, I know people were coming. They weren't waiting till we got to the punchline to be like, oh, I need this so bad. But as they continue to come and just leave their baggage, leave their brokenness, leave their sin, leave their weariness and their exhaustion with you, would you, in the kindness of this gentle and lowly character, this, this acceptance, this approachability, will you be faithful to just wash people's souls right now this morning with a deep and abiding rest? Jesus, make Park Church a a community of people who are helping one another get away from the cultural scripts that are weighing everyone down and, and walk a new path, walk a new script together with your yoke, your burden, your storyline, your teachings, and most importantly, you yourself. Amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.